Well, like I said earlier, we'll be finishing up our series Better Together today. And we've just been talking about the fact that Christianity isn't a solo sport. It's something that is better done together. And what is so strange about our culture is that we're in this really weird place where something's happened that's never happened in the history of humanity before, where we are more digitally connected than ever, yet more relationally disconnected than ever. It's a really weird, strange place we find ourselves in. And I don't think we always know how to handle it. We don't know what to do with it, because although we can share our thoughts, our opinions, in all caps, if we want to, we can share snapshots and little videos of our lives. In an instant, we can share those little surface-level things with the world, and it gives us this illusion of connectedness. But the reality is, many people have less really deep, committed relationships than they've ever had in their lives. And our habits are changing, and that's making us even more isolated because, you know, now we're, if you're in a room full of people, you don't chat. What do you do? You stare at your phone, and you scroll. It was weird. Um, Abby's grandfather passed away last week, and we went to the funeral. And in their church, there's just no signal. Can you relate to that? There's no signal at all where their church is. And so we were like, everyone's just talking. We're like, this is weird, all this human interaction. It's unusual. I don't know what to do with it all. Um, you know, I've noticed that um, very few people know their neighbors anymore. That's weird, you know, because, I mean, that used to be the thing. Everybody, everybody just, why wouldn't you know the person that lives, you know, 50 yards away from you? Why wouldn't you talk to the person? Well, we got garage door openers, so we can, from our car, bloop, open the garage door, drive on in, and close it, and never talk to anybody. And then we've just kind of gotten to this thing where now you can be out doing yard work across from your neighbor, and nobody talks to one another. It's just this strange world we live in where we're starting to gravitate away from human interaction. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I've just always talked. I think I've made that known. And um, so, like, there's times where we'll be out at the store and, you know, there's something in the way or, like, Walmart, sometimes they stack the shelves, you know, and you're trying to reach for the same thing with somebody around the big pallet of stuff. And you're like, oh, hey, this is such a pain. You know, and I'll talk to a stranger every once in a while. And about 50% of the time they look at me like, oh, no, someone's talking to me, a stranger. What do I do? And it's like this deer in the headlights look, and it's like, I'm just, I'm just make, I don't, I'm not wanting to like know your full life story. I just made a comment to make this awkward situation a little easier. Like I don't understand. It's also interesting because when I have Eleanor with me, she's almost three and she will talk to anybody. In fact, she loves to talk to anybody. She'll wave at strangers, tell them about her life. I'm going to my Nana's for Christmas. She told everybody all that stuff, you know, anytime we're at the store. And I've noticed everybody loves talking to her. Nobody reacts to her the way they react to me, but, you know, I won't get offended by that. Maybe I'm just oblivious to how scary looking I am. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But, but we have this increasing isolation, relationally speaking. It's very strange, and, and that's bled over into how we live out our, our faith. Our culture has, for a while, told us that faith is a very personal thing. It, you know, when you're at a party or on a, a first date, you don't talk about politics or or faith. Those are things that are personal. They're between you and whatever God you worship. Don't talk to anybody about it. Don't try to, you know, impress your beliefs on anybody about it. Nobody cares. It's just between you and your God. And, and that's caused us to think about faith in this very self-focused way. 
Faith has become, what do I get out of it? Coming to church is about, what do I get out of church? Do I like church? How good is the sermon? We want a sermon that speaks specifically to me. Which you got to understand, on the minister, that's a tall order. Because you might not be in the same place as the other 99 people in church on a Sunday. And everybody wants the sermon to point straight at them. We want it to be me. Everybody wants songs that they like. And so we want to have this faith experience that speaks to ourselves individually because that's what we think. This is about me and God and nobody else. And so I want to go to church and I want to do the churchy things. And I pretty much want everybody else to leave me alone while I do the churchy things. And that is not the way faith is expressed. In the Bible. That is not the way we are directed to live our lives as Christians. When you read through the New Testament over and over again, it is incredibly clear that Jesus did not intend for you to follow him alone. This, this thing is not a solo sport, but Christianity was meant to be a team effort. And it's not just something that you can do in complete isolation. In fact, we kind of get confused on the ideas of personal and private Because you see, yes, faith, while personal, it is a personal thing. Your journey towards Jesus is going to be different than everybody else's. The way your personality causes you to live out your faith is going to be different than everybody else's. And yes, your faith, while private, was never, or while while personal, excuse me, was never meant to be private. It was never meant to be this isolated, you experience it in this little bubble, and your faith never touches anybody else's faith. That's not how this works. This is why the church exists, so that we can walk this road of faith together. And if you're a Christian, or a person who thinks, yeah, I'm kind of leaning maybe towards being a Christian, or I I think I kind of buy into this stuff, if that's you, you can't approach faith from a solo perspective. But yet a lot of people who call themselves Christians in our modern world do. Because everything's personal. Everything's isolated. You can read your Bible, get Bible verses on the computer. You can share your faith, share your faith sort of in, in, on Facebook and things like that. But we, and we think that that's enough connection, but it's not. We need real, personal, human, face-to-face interaction. And that's what Jesus intended. And... And because we want to exercise our faith alone, and we make it only about ourselves, our faith becomes, again, about this thing about us having salvation. We tend to turn Jesus into this means to an end. Jesus exists for me. He's about getting me to heaven. Jesus' job is to make me feel a certain way when I come to church. Jesus' job is to make my life go a certain way, only good, never bad. And and that's what a lot of people build our faith on in this isolated, personal, surface-level selfish fashion and one of the best reasons for you to connect with the church is because it gets you out of your own head it gets you outside of just thinking about you it opens you up to the bigger world of faith that exists and I think your faith will never reach the depths that it was intended to until you understand that you were meant to walk this road of faith with other Christians in a church family and so so much of how Jesus wants us to live, means we got to move beyond ourselves. In fact, if you just look at most of the commands made toward Christians in the New Testament, they are not things you can do alone. Absolutely, you cannot do them by yourself as a Christian. And so, undeniably, whether we like it or not, and by the way, I come at this mostly from an introverted perspective. I am an introvert. I have certain levels of social skills which make me at times appear like an extrovert, but for the most part, 
I shy away from people. And so if you're an introvert like me, you're thinking, don't, don't tell me about this. Get together with people, you know, have relationships, because that sounds like a nightmare, okay? And so I'm kind of that person, too, that thinks, what if I just lived in my house and never saw anyone but my wife and kids ever again? I really think that that would be good. But the people in my growth group that I meet with on Wednesday nights, they, they make fun of me. Because I was like, I never heard of that. And they're like, well, you have to leave the house, Anthony, every once in a while for that. It's like, oh, okay. So I've kinda, I'm trying to be the kind of person that reaches out and understands that I need more than just myself. So, so if you're thinking, I don't want to hear any of this, I don't want to listen to any of this, trust me, I get you. But you can't deny the fact that even if you're an introvert, even if you're not a people person, the faith that is shown to us, modeled for us in the New Testament, is a relational faith. And so, having a relationship with Jesus also means having a relationship with members of his church. Undeniable. You, can't, you don't find an individual Christian doing this thing of faith by themselves ever in the Bible. Not once in the New Testament do you ever see somebody all alone walking a road of faith. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you are meant naturally to integrate into this family of faith that we call the church. It's kind of like getting married. When you got married, those of you that are married, you didn't just add one person to your life. You added them and all the family that they brought with them. And in fact, I think one of the reasons why the chemicals in your brain that do what they do in the early stages of a relationship, one of the reasons why they're so good is because the, the chemicals that flood your brain at the early stage of a relationship, they make you so infatuated with the person that you're in love with. And you think, oh, I'm going to love them forever. They're so perfect. We're going to be together. And you look only at them. And you don't see how scary their family is until it's too late. Because if you understood that what you were getting yourself into, most people would just run for the hills. But... It's, which just, maybe that's not the best way to talk about the church. That's not what I'm, but the part, the, the idea that I'm connecting here to the church is that like, it's a package deal. When you get married, you get all the in-laws and outlaws and everybody else with it. That's just how it works. And we all understand that. We understand that when we get married, we're going to have to go to the Christmas stuff on the other side and do birthdays with this side of the family. And they're going to be there for all the graduations and parties and things like that over the years. We just understand that. But yet when we get into a relationship with Jesus, we think, well, I don't want any of Jesus's family. I don't want any of these other kids that he's adopted in like me. It's just me and Jesus. But that's not what we see in Scripture. With Jesus, it's a package deal in the best possible way. And since you and I weren't meant to do this alone, what we see is that this was meant to be a blessing. These relationships with each other were meant to be a blessing to each and every one of us. In fact, if you just want to see some of the ways that we're called to treat one another, there are these commands made all throughout the New Testament that I just call the one another commands because they're just do this to one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Live in harmony with one another. Bear one another's burdens. I mean, that, that in and of itself, bear one another's burdens, that should be worth the price of admission into a church family. Because that means when life is too heavy for you to bear it yourself, that other people should come along and help you handle the load. Then there's another one that sounds very similar. It's just called bear with one another. Not bear one another's burdens, bear with one another. Meaning at times, this is going to be less than perfect because we're a bunch of imperfect people. And at times, we're going to be mean and hurtful and painful. And sometimes we're just going to have to, we're just going to be people that others in our church are just going to have to put up with. And I love that that's like, when someone's perfect, don't head for the, or imperfect, don't head for the hills. We just keep trucking along and we forgive along the way. 
Another of the, of the one another's says, outdo one another in honor. Meaning, I'm supposed to give you honor and credit, not myself. I'm supposed to do whatever I can to bless you more than I bless myself. I mean, if we just lived out this handful of these one another commands that we find in the New Testament, the relationships, the, 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 the existence of the church would, would be this undeniably beautiful thing that people would look at and say, wow, I want to be a part of that. But there is one of these one another commands that I kind of want to hone in on today and just kind of expl- explain to us why it's so pivotal that we have one another in our lives. And it's this. We are called to encourage one another. Now, um, in, in the translation of the Bible that we have in the pews, the ESV, it's going to use the word exhort. That's not a word that we use a lot. So I, it means encourage. So I just put it in the language that we're going to use most of the time. Now, the reason why this command is such a big deal is because our natural state, just as human beings living in a world that is not usually moving in the direction of honoring God, so our natural state, when we are out in the world trying to just do our natural, normal life, going to work, going to the store, be a family, all that stuff, our natural state is just to kind of drift farther and farther from God. If you aren't actively doing things in your life, having private disciplines or or relationships that are going to help cement you or move you closer to God, then you're just going to naturally drift away from God. Uh, There's a pastor in Oklahoma that I've, I've followed for years, and I've heard this story a couple times in the sermons I've listened to, and I've told it probably a couple times in sermons I've listened to because it's such a good little illustrator of the point that we're, we're trying to look at here. Um, he said that one time he went on a vacation with his family to the beach. Like, you know, one of those, like, you don't do it every year kind of vacations where you really splurge. They rented a huge beach house, took the family there. This guy has, I think, six kids. I don't even understand how that's possible. Yeah, whoa, whoa, yeah, well. Well, I, ugh, three is, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with three. I thought I was overwhelmed with one. I've been overwhelmed from the start, but anyway. So they got six kids, right? So one day, they just go out in the beach, and they're playing in the water, all six kids and him, and they're, you know, building sandcastles and getting in the water and, you know, floating around and just having a big time. And finally, the sun's starting to go down. They said, okay, we gotta, we gotta go in. It's probably time for dinner, probably time to wrap this up. Uh, so let's go back in the house. And one of the kids said, dad, there, there's no house. The house is gone. He's like, what? And he looks up onto the beach, and he's like, sure enough, there's no house. It's like, well. And he starts looking, and he realizes the house is about a quarter to a half mile down the beach. They were just playing in the water, having a good old time, doing what you normally do when you go to the beach with your kids, and without even realizing it, they were getting just nudged ever so gently, a little by little, away from where they started, away from their home, And they had to get up and walk the long, hard way back to the house. And and that illustration, that that little story is something that happens in our lives with our faith, without even realizing it. Every day when you are just out in the world watching TV, because very little of what we ingest every day is going to encourage us and push us towards Christ. Most of it is just going to nudge us a little bit farther away, change the way we think just a little bit, And little by little, we drift if we don't have something anchoring us and holding us to the faith that we need. 
And so we're going to look at this phenomenon and how it works on us on a spiritual level. And to do that, we're going to be in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. We'll start in chapter 3. If you want to grab a Bible, I'd encourage you to do that. If you didn't bring one, there's a black one near you. The verses will be on the screen behind me. But I think sometimes it's just helpful to have it in front of you so that you can see the whole passage rather than just what's on the individual slide at any point in time. Now, um, the way the New Testament works is most of the New Testament is, is comprised of just letters that were written by Christian leaders and pastors to specific churches or individuals. Now, normally, those letters are named either after the person that they were written by or to the person or people that they were written to. The problem with this letter is that we don't really know who wrote it or who it was written to. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know where the people lived that got this thing written to them. Um, all we know is that the people were most likely a group of Christians who were formerly Jews. And so that's why the letter is called Hebrews. Because the audience, whoever they were, they were most likely Hebrews. And so we have this book, and, and as we pick up our story, the author of Hebrews is warning the Christians, these Jewish people, they were these Jewish Christians, not to fall into the trap that their ancient ancestors fell into. Because these people, Jewish people, were, they, they were raised saturated in the story of their family tree. And so they were raised knowing the Old Testament inside and out. And the Old Testament is mainly the story of ancient Israel, the ancestors of the people that are being written to here. And basically what you see from the start of the story in the book of Exodus is, is God freed these people from slavery through these amazingly uh, mir miraculous events. He led them out to freedom. And he was promised, I'm going to take you to this promised land. I'm going to guide you with a giant pillar of fire by day or by night and a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day. Um, food just kind of fell into their laps, essentially. And, and so God was going to take care of them. He made them these grand promises and said, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And everything looked really good at the very beginning. But pretty much the entire Old Testament is the story of the people of Israel struggling to stay focused on God, struggling to maintain the relationship with him. And I don't know, God appears to work quite differently, much more obvious in the Old Testament. And, you know, they have, again, they were, they were seeing miracles with their own eyes, seeing a giant tower of fire, a tower of cloud, day in, day out. And they still had trouble trusting in God. I know there's this thing that I think every now and then, I've, I've prayed this several times in my life in moments of doubt, like, God, if you would just send me a sign, you ever prayed for just a random, God, send me a sign, and we'll take anything as a sign, you know. You'll be, you pray for that, and a bird flies into the window of your car as you're driving on the road, you're like, that must be a sign. We'll, we'll take anything we can get when we're trying to get a sign, right? But God was giving these people these crazy, obvious miracles, and they still struggled. So I don't think having these miraculous signs from God are really going to um, help us any more stay tied to him as we think they do. But what you see is these people of Israel, they were always running off. They, they struggled to stay close to God for more than a generation or two. Sometimes they couldn't even make it through their life while maintaining their faithfulness. It makes me think of a, of a dog that likes to run away. If you don't live in Loami, you don't quite understand the issue that exists in Loami. If you live in Loami and you follow the Loami Community Events page, Every single day, I kid you not, every single day, there's a dog with a red collar running loose down Main Street. There's three dogs over here. There's four dogs over there. Has anyone seen my dog? That's constantly what you see on the Loami Community Events Facebook page. So someone's like, the other day, I couldn't stand it anymore. Somebody's like, I just saw a dog. And I just had, I wrote, a loose dog in Loami? Who ever heard of such a thing? I was like, hope people understand sarcasm because I couldn't help it. It's like every day. Chain up your dog, I guess. But some of them are skate artists, I know that. But anyway, 
my point being, here we go. If you got a dog, it runs away, right? Most people really do a good job of taking care of their animals. You give them a lot of food, give them a comfy bed. Sometimes they don't even like that comfy bed, so you let them sleep in your comfy bed. And you, you're all crunched up in the corner, and your dog's like all spread out like this in your king-sized bed. And your dog's got more room than you do. Like, you take good care. You give them good toys to play with when they're home. You play with them. You take them outside on walks and stuff. And still, every time the door is accidentally left open or the gate is left ajar, that dog just bolts. And you're like, why did he run? He had such a good thing going. What's wrong? with What, what a dumb dog. Like, and he runs out in the traffic, and they run across the road, and they run out into the woods like they're going to be some glorious, mighty hunter, even though they've never hunted anything in their life. And it's like, why would they do that? Like, that's kind of the feeling I get when I read the Old Testament. These people, it's like, God was so good to you. He took such good care of you. Why do you keep running off to try to chase other things? And so as the person in the New Testament writes this book to these Jewish Christians saying, Look at your ancestors. Understand the principle that it is going to be incredibly hard for us to live in a non-God, non-Christ-focused world and keep our attention where it needs to be. And, and that's where they pick up this story of, of kind of explaining our natural tendency to wander from God and look for something better. We're going to start Hebrews 3, verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, that's our word, encourage one another. Encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so, He's trying to warn them of this danger of falling away from their faith. And, and here's the thing. Falling away, it's not, it's not just, oh, no, a few less people are coming to church. Oh, no, the attendance numbers don't look as good in the weekly email that we send out. Oh, man, it's not that. He's actually trying to help us understand that, that we are here. This, this battle of faith actually puts eternity on the line. That, that we are all walking a road with Jesus that leads to restoration forgiveness, and eternal joy. The other option is to ditch Jesus, take personal responsibility for our sin, meaning we're going to suffer for our own sin, and that punishment is death in hell for eternity. Eternity is on the line here. Life and death itself. And so that's why this author is so urgent, and they're pleading with these people, do not fall away. Encourage each other every day, as long as it is called today. And I used to read that and think, what a weird thing to say, as long as it is called today. What does that even mean? Well, it's, it's kind of like a joke that's supposed to bite a little bit. Like, hey, is it today? Yes. Then encourage somebody. Is it still today? Yep. And then you wake up tomorrow like, is it today again? Yep, it's today again. Well, then get to it. Every single day, we need to understand that our job as believers is to take care of the other people in our church family because there's a drift happening. And if we're not getting nudged back in the right direction by something or someone, every day is just a little bit of a drift in the wrong direction away from Christ. And, and it could be so many different things that cause us to drift, that cause us to fall away. Um, Usually when we think of things that break our faith, usually we think of bad things, right? Like we've, I, maybe you've known people, I've known people that life turned really bad, really tragic, and, peop, and they just started questioning, why is God letting this happen to me? 
Why isn't God, if God really loved me, would he let all these bad things pile up in my life? If God really cared, wouldn't he free me from this anguish? And because they couldn't see God's goodness in the mess of their life, or, or they couldn't stop asking why and feeling like they weren't getting adequate answers, they walked away from faith because of the bad things that happened. And so we think of that kind of stuff when we think about our faith getting shattered or destroyed. But I think the far greater danger to our faith is simply our prosperity. We don't understand how historically speaking, as far as humans, humans go and how humans have lived, we got it real good. Real good. How many of you had to hide behind a rock to go to the bathroom today? No hands. That's what I thought. How many of you had to kill an animal this morning for your breakfast? I wondered if I might get a hand or two there. I didn't, want, I didn't know. But no. You're like, well, not today, because I, I killed them all yesterday, and I got them ready today. But, but you see, like historically speaking, Life has been difficult, food has been scarce, conditions have been difficult, and we have things so incredibly good. We are so relaxed and pampered and taken care of on, an, on, a, day, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis that there are so many things now that can draw our affection, our time, and our energy, and our focus away from Christ. I think the far greater danger to our faith is not the bad stuff happening, it's just all the good stuff that is going to pile in and push Christ to the edge. I've seen people succumb to the lie that more money and more stuff, that's what is the key to security and peace in life. And so they'll either spend every spare minute working to make more money, or they'll spend every spare second enjoying the, the luxuries that they've been able to surround themselves with until there's no room for Christ. They don't even think about Christ. I've had friends that became so intoxicated with the results of working out, feeling better, Weight loss, the boost in confidence that comes as people go, you're looking good. Which, by the way, if anybody's ever said that to you, you're like, well, thanks, all right, you know. Because if you go for a few years and not taking care of yourself, and then you really start, like, going into overdrive, and you lose some weight or get in shape, get some muscles that you never had before, and, and it's been decades since someone said, you look good, I mean, that just does something special for your heart right there. And so I've had friends that got lost in that world, and they became so engulfed with what they were eating, what they were doing, the hikes they were going to take on the weekend, anything they could do to build up their health. And it wasn't like they, again, got mad at Jesus and quit. They just didn't have time anymore. I've had a lot, of, or I think a lot of us have um, ended up enjoying our, our nice, comfortable, secure, easy lives to where we're just relaxed. We don't feel any immediate sense of life or, or death or bad things happening, and so we just kind of get relaxed into a sense of, I don't need God, or at least if I do, that's for when I die, and I feel like a million miles away from that because things are going so well and I feel so good. And so we get lulled into thinking, that God doesn't matter. Or sometimes the thing that can take the God spot in our life is our kids. We just want them, we want so bad for our kids to have a, a joy-filled, pain-free, often experience-heavy life that we spend every second just pouring it into them. And again, the danger here with all these things is not that they're bad things. It's the, I think it's the good things that are going to overwhelm us, fill our lives to the point where, again, God just gets pushed off to the side, and it's not intentional. It's not something we think of. It just happens, because why? It's not a huge 180 away from God. It's just that slow, subtle, almost unnoticeable, indistinguishable drift away from him. 
And so again, none of those things are bad or evil, but they're so good, so incredibly good that we can forget our deep need for him. And that's one of the reasons why we need one another, so that we can encourage each other, remind us day in and day out not to fall away, to keep our eyes on Christ, to stay as close to him, to remind ourselves of our absolute need for redemption and salvation. That's why when you come and you're an active part of this church, I want you to be encouraged. I want it to be something that is a blessing to you. I want you to be reminded of how much Jesus loves you and how much he has in store for you so that you can then encourage other people around you as well. I said two weeks ago that when you give up on church, you're not just putting your faith in danger, but you're putting the faith of everyone else in danger because you don't just come here to be encouraged. You should come here to encourage others, invest in their faith, Because this world has a lot of things that are painful and a lot of things that are good and a lot of this stuff that can intoxicate you and make you focused until you are so far from God you don't even remember where you started. Um, Abby and I have a friend a few years ago. It was just, it was, it was an interesting thing because we were really close friends. We hung out with her all the time and we just to see that, you know, she got a new friendship from a new job she made, and then slowly she stopped hanging out with her old friends and hung out with these new friends, and she just starts getting influenced. And, and again, they weren't evil people. They were just doing other things until one day we were like, man, she's just not the person that we knew a year or two ago. They're not, they're, you know, they were one of those people that, you know, we went to college with, and they, you know, and, and at Bible college, it's a pretty safe bet. Everybody, you know, at least looks like they're really on fire for Jesus at Bible college, at least you're supposed to, you know, and, and it's like, we thought, like, this is our friend, like, we were, we love Jesus together, we served together, we did things together, and now they're like, don't even have time for Christ anymore, and it was just this painful, but yet really good and clear example of how easily it is to start this drift away, and, and we thought, you know, maybe we're gonna have to, maybe we need to talk with him, like, not like an intervention, but just to say, hey, is something, how's your faith doing, like, just to ask him, how are you doing, to be an encouragement to them, and, and then, you know, some situations in their life changed, and they, like, you know, moved back home with mom and dad, and, and they went real hard into Jesus, and, and super went into church, and volunteering, and serving, and doing all that stuff, and then a while later, we were talking to them, and they said, man, you know, I didn't realize how far away my faith had, had drifted. Like, she didn't even know it until she came back. She's like, man, I didn't realize how far away, how, how too busy and too overloaded I was to even invest in Christ. I had no idea that even happened to me until I came back to see what I'd lost. And so we need to keep our eyes, our focus on Christ, but alone, we're not going to be able to do that very well. We need other people in our lives to encourage us and point us to that fact. That's why in verse 15, he says that we as Christians, we have come to share in Christ, to share in Christ. That means that just as Jesus resurrected from the dead, that that's our future. That one day we will resurrect and God is going to restore this creation, to remake this creation, to be a perfect thing with no loss or sadness. That we have a future hope of having a new actual life, eternal life in Christ. And that's going to free us from all this temporary brokenness and pain. And it's that, that focus on what is to come. That, that future focus thing that we all get to celebrate in as Christians that gives us hope as we go through the bumps and bruises of this life. It's the, it's the thing that gives us clarity to see, oh, this thing in life, it's really fun and it's really good, but it's not the best thing. I, yeah, it's good, but I don't have time for that right now. I got too much to focus on, things that are really important. And, and then it says, you know, we get to share in Christ, but only if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 
And that's the part where we come in. We need that daily encouragement all the way to the end. So what does it look like to encourage one another? Well, for one, you can just start living out those one another commands that are all throughout the New Testament. Love one another. Like, not just like feel affection for. Love is a verb. Like, serve, do, do nice things. Put other people before yourself. You see somebody struggling? Be willing to, to be uncomfortable to help them if that's what it takes. My wife, I've said this before, she is so, from my perspective, painfully generous. I'm a nerd, and all I want to do is budget and make sure the budget is balanced. And she's up here just taking wads of cash out to people who are hurting, and she's just flicking it out into the world. (laughs) And that's a good thing. And I have learned over time that I need to be willing to be uncomfortable so that we can be generous at times, and that she's a good person. That's why I, God probably put me and her together, because I'd be Scrooge McDuck swimming in my money bin of gold if it was all me. And so we're together because of that, and so we need to be willing to sacrifice, over, overlook our pain for the good of others, to invest in the, in, in the betterness of others, serve one another, pray for each other, forgive one another, let go of the guilt and the, the criminal record that we can often hold on to for years with, with people that have hurt us. Another thing, and I've said this over and over again, I think we actually need to be intentional about building deep relationships with people in our church. I think we can't be satisfied with surface level, eh, how's your week, good, and then out the door the second we're done here. I think we need to be open to building relationships, not because you want it. I don't usually want more friendships. That's, again, that's my natural inclination is to just like, okay, Back away from people. Don't need any more people in my life. Sometimes I just go to the store and I'm like, man, it's really people-y out here today. I don't like this. Okay, that's not, So it's not because you like it, but it's because you need it. And Jesus designed you to have it. And it's good for you and it's good for me. And I think we as individuals need to take responsibility for that, building the relationships. We need to go and make an effort to build the relationships. A lot of times people will come to church and expect everybody else to come to them. And realistically, that doesn't always happen. It's easy for somebody new to come into a church building, even of this size, a gathering of this size, and leave, and barely anybody would even have noticed that they were there. Not because we're all jerks, just because you know how life is. You come in thinking about, okay, I have lunch today for my kids, and then this afternoon we got this. And you just were in your own little bubble. You weren't trying to be rude and ignore people. It just happens. And so I think if we're going to truly build relationships, that's something we've got to take the responsibility to do. And... You know, that's one of the reasons why we offer things like that next step class, because we got to have more than just sitting, facing forward, not talking to one another. There's got to be more to a church than that. That's what it was meant to be. There was meant to be relationships. That's how we were designed to operate. And so if you want to take steps that will connect you to people, that's kind of a good starting place to try that if you haven't tried it yet. There's my shameless plug for the next steps class. But finally, just to say this one more time, Christianity is a team sport. You were not meant to go it alone. I would say that it is near impossible to have a lifelong faith all the way to the end by yourself. It is an impossible thing to do. You were meant, Jesus gave you people, surrounded you with people in a church family for your good. And life will prove too crushing or too tempting for you to maintain that faith on your own. You need others and they need you. That's why I think without a doubt, we are in fact better together.
because that's what Jesus intended. Let's pray. Our amazing Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see that in our a culture that decreasingly values in-person, deep relationships, that we would gain a new appreciation for our need of them. It, it's not incredibly surprising that as we become more digitally connected, that we feel more isolated than ever, more lonely than ever. It's not surprising that as we've taken relational connection out of our life, deep, meaningful, in-person relational connection out of our lives, it's no wonder that we've started to notice that things don't fit as well as they used to. And so I pray that you would allow us as a church to, to gain a new appreciation for our need for one another and help us to care for one another the way that you've called us to, to love one another, serve one another, outdo one another in honor, bear one another's burdens. I just, I just pray that we would not neglect that and be comfortable or be, be okay with just coming once a week, sitting in a room full of people, and leaving. We were meant to know these people, to love these people, to care about these people, and to be cared for by them. So thank you for this church. Thank you for each and every person that is here, each person that attends regularly throughout our years, each person that, that, that comes once a month, once every other month, we are just grateful for the people that can come here. And I pray that our experience with you is not just a once-in-a-while thing that we think about. It's not an afterthought. It's not even this thing that, that, that we, we barely touch on in our lives. But I pray that it is something that we deeply care about. And that this church, our interactions with this church, when we think of the church, we think people. We think of faces that care about us, faces that invest in us, faces that love us, faces that have served us, faces that have been generous with us. I just, again, thank you for this church family. It's just an amazing gift. And I pray that we don't neglect that because we're so caught up in just being, I don't know, what our culture is considered normal and being like everybody else. Because that's, that's just not the way that you've designed us to live. So help us to break out of the mold of, of what our culture has for us. And to live for you and for one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.